Friends, each year on the second Sunday of Easter, the church turns our attention to a focus on divine mercy, on God's mercy. And we do it through the readings for the day, but also the inspiration of an early 20th century mystic, St. Faustina, and the private revelations that uh, she received about God's mercy. And so we sort of zero in on this idea of what God's mercy looks like. I thought it'd be helpful maybe to define mercy uh, at the beginning. And here's how I'd like to define it. Mercy is a type of love where the giver bestows on the recipient something that they lack or something that the giver thinks the recipient might be undeserving of. It's a type of love where the giver bestows on the recipient something they don't have. What the giver does. Or it's a type of love in which the giver bestows on the recipient something they don't necessarily think that they're deserving of. Mercy is precisely love from someone higher to someone lower, not in terms of dignity, of course, but in terms of the giver possesses something that the recipient doesn't have. So think of this in terms of what we call the corporal works of mercy. Most people that feed the hungry have access to food. Right? Most people that shelter the homeless have a house. Most people, well, all people that bury the dead are living. <laughs> right? Um, so all the works of mercy, including the spiritual works of mercy, they presume that the giver actually possesses something that the recipient doesn't. This is interesting because this is different than other kinds of love, right? Love, just in general, can apply to people that have access to the same things. Compassion and sympathy actually etymologically suggest that you actually know what the other person's going through. They literally, the words literally mean to suffer with them. They kind of presume you know and can experience what they're going through. So like a homeless person can relate to another homeless person in a way that I can't. Right? That's sort of sympathy or compassion. Right? Mercy doesn't presume that. Mercy presumes I have no clue what it's like to be homeless. But I can still help you by trying to get you a home. Right? But I, might, I don't know what that feels like. We can try to get in and enter into other people's shoes. But at the end of the day, there often remains still a barrier. So I think it's helpful distinguishing mercy from other types of love. Now, with regard to God's love for us, since we are in an undeserving position, all of God's love is a kind of mercy, right? Since our entire existence is, is conditional, it's dependent on God willing us into existence. So everything is mercy in relation of, of God's relation to us. And that mercy is unlimited. Our psalm we sang today, his mercy endures forever. And I think we get a really, a really kind of beautiful glimpse into the heart of God's mercy in the gospel today. Because you notice that Jesus does not make a big fuss out of what the apostles just did to him. Like this is the first, I mean, think about this. This is the first time he's seeing them. The night of the resurrection since every single one of them except John left him. Peter denied he knew him three times. Judas betrays him. 
The other nine or so leave. John stays with him to the cross. This is the first time he's seeing him. And his first words when he enters the room are, peace be with you. You know what my first words would have been? <laughs> I can't say them in church, right? I mean, imagine, imagine someone disappoints you, the closest people in your life, let you down so significantly, and you walk into their midst, and you don't make that a big deal. I would have. Right? I would have made them apologize. I would have lined them up and told them how disappointed I was in them. Right? That's what I would have been tempted to do. Jesus doesn't do that. He extends his peace. He doesn't make a fuss about it. It's amazing. They were undeserving of that treatment. They were completely undeserving of that treatment. They deserved, they deserved to be chided and challenged and rebuked. But that's what divine mercy looks like. They were undeserving, and he rose above it with mercy. Right? He rose above justice, what they deserved, for the sake of them. And notice, too, he just shows them his hands and his, his feet and his wounds. He just volunteers that. They don't prompt him. They don't ask him for it. He just gives it. He's like, I know you need proof. I know you need evidence. Here you go. And then he's very merciful with Thomas. Right? So Thomas isn't there. And the, the apostles go and tell Thomas, Thomas, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the wounds. Right? Thomas doesn't believe them. That's Thomas's doubt. Right? A lot of people think that Thomas's doubt is asking to touch the wounds. That is not Thomas's doubt. Okay? Jesus volunteered the proof to the other apostles. Jesus knew that Thomas needed to see proof. Thomas's doubt consists in that he didn't believe ten reliable first-hand witnesses. He didn't believe the testimony of the ten who actually saw the Lord and told him. That's, that's what Thomas's doubt consisted of, not wanting proof, not wanting evidence. If you say you're going to rise from the dead, I sure expect to see evidence. But he didn't believe the ones who he should have believed about the truth of the resurrection. And so Jesus says that great or blessed are those right, who have not seen and believed. That's, of course, all of us who remain for 2,000 years removed from the resurrection. Yet we believe on the testimony, on the credible testimony, we believe, of 2,000 years of that power, of that credible testimony that's been handed on. Blessed are you who have not seen and have believed. So Jesus is incredible, incredibly merciful to Thomas, who's undeserving. The apostles, undeserving. And yet he bestows mercy. That's what mercy looks like. And I was thinking, how do we receive mercy from God? And I think, like so many things, there's two extremes. We can underestimate it, and we can, to a certain extent, overestimate it through presumption. Right? What does it look like to underestimate God's mercy? It looks like discouragement and despair about our sins. That we're too far gone. Right? That we're beyond the scope of God's mercy. That our past is too bad. That I'm too broken. That God can't heal me. Right? I'm unfixable. Right? This seems to be what Jesus means elsewhere in the gospel when he talks about the one unforgivable sin. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I think what that means is despair. Spiritual despair. I am too far gone for God to heal me. 
That's spiritual despair to me. That's to, that's to limit God's mercy. Right? St. Faustina has this image in her revelation. She says, each one of our sins is like a drop of water right, in the ocean of God's mercy. I think about that image a lot when I'm at home and I'm sitting on the lake. I just, I just think about that image a ton. It's always stuck with me because I was fortunate enough to grow up on the lake. That my sins are like one drop of water in that massive in Lake Erie. We can't limit God's mercy. On the other hand, we can uh, overestimate through presumption. Right? And that looks like I'm kind of entitled to it. Right? I can kind of do whatever I want and just bank on God's mercy. But yet, God also expects things of us. He makes demands. Right? We know this feeling if maybe we have ever been tempted to use somebody because like, they say yes to everything. Right? Not that I've ever done that, but maybe I have. Right? You, you might take advantage of someone's kindness. Right? We, we can't do that with God. We can't take advantage. That's presumption. We don't take advantage of God's mercy right? by looking to give him more fodder for mercy, by sinning. Right? He wants, he desires us to conform our life to his. And sure, if we fall short, he extends an unlimited supply of his mercy. So we can feel entitled to it. Presumption, right? The sin of presumption. It means to sort of um, feel entitled to God's mercy without putting in the requisite work to try and live a life uh, that Christ calls us to. I just want to end by saying a word to our compromandi, to, um, to Emily and Becca, Nick and Katie. Um, just about how those two dynamics are also at play with the Holy Spirit. That we can underestimate its power, but we can overemphasize it or overestimate it and not value our cooperation with it. So how do we underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit? We just think this is a formal ceremony. Right? We think this is not really going to change us. Right? And I understand if you feel that way inside. Because as I shared with all of them, like I could care less about my confirmation in eighth grade. I just I wasn't into it. Right? It's it, you know, I just wasn't into it. Right? I, I underestimated the power. Right, that's at play, and I think eventually I came to realize it and to tap into that reservoir of spiritual power that God actually gave us. But don't underestimate today. God, God's going to change you in a few minutes. He's going to give you spiritual powers, a reservoir of spiritual powers that you do not did not possess before it. Right, that you can tap into. Right? And so don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. The first words. Right after peace be with you on the night of the resurrection, he says, we heard in our gospel, receive the Holy Spirit, and then he breathes on them. I will not breathe on you in a few moments. Okay? Thank God. We don't do that anymore in the COVID world. Right? But he breathes on them and gives them the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't underestimate the power. Don't overestimate. Meaning, you have to do something. I love that we call the gifts of the Spirit the seven gifts, and I won't quiz you on them. Though I know you could all tell me off the top of your head what they are. But it's helpful to call them gifts because we know, you can unopen a gift. You can leave it wrapped. You can open it and not use it. Right? I've, 
you know, we've all gotten bad gifts, right? And we're like, what in the world? What am I supposed to do with this thing, right? We can do the same with the Holy Spirit. These seven gifts are given to you, but they have to be opened by you. They have to be cultivated. They have to be used by you, right? They have to be cultivated and fertilized and, and watered like soil, right? They, they're gifts given, but they can be untapped without our freedom, our free will using them uh, to, to tap into them and to use them for what they're for. So don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. But maybe a better way of saying it is don't underestimate your cooperation, the importance and significance of your cooperation with the Holy Spirit working within you. So friends, let's entrust ourselves to compromise, especially to the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave the apostles on the night of the resurrection. And all of us together, let's entrust ourselves more fully to the divine mercy. Right? Not to, to, to limit it, not to underestimate it through presumption, but to just receive the power of God's love that he extends to us as mercy, and then, by extension, to live that way to others. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. After receiving the divine mercy ourselves, let's extend the mercy to those around us.